Our first scripture reading this morning is Psalms 138. And it says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple, and I give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted your name, for you have exalted your name and your word above everything. On the day I called you, you answered me, and you increased my strength of my soul. All of the king of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord, and great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he preserves from far away. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve me against the wrath of my enemies. You stretch out your hand, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose within me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Our second scripture reading is found in Romans chapter 7. I'll be reading verses 14 through 25 in Paul's letter to uh, the church in Rome. Paul writes, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my member. Wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then, within my mind I am a slave to the law, but with my flesh I am a slave to the law of sin. Alright, we're going to play a little game this morning. Play a little game called Name That Flaw. Have some blank sheets of paper I'm going to give out. What I want you to do is to write what you consider to be your top three flaws on the paper. Don't put your name on it. Then we're going to take them up, shuffle them up, fold them, put them in a bag. We're going to let everybody draw one out. And then you try to identify who it belongs to. Don't, don't want to play? <laughs> I don't want to play either. <laughs> Let's just skip the game, okay? We're just going to skip the game. Eden, we're not going to play. I'm sorry. We're not going to play. We're not going to play. I'm, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we know that we are all flawed creatures. doesn't always mean that we're ready to admit our flaws, but we know that we have them. I mean, even the Apostle Paul had his flaws. 
other than being an English teacher's nightmare in his writing style. He admits in a very dramatic way in his letter that we call Romans that he has flaws. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. The Apostle Paul writing here. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Maxine, the message, I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every day. In 2 Corinthians, Paul speaks of his thorn in the flesh. And uh, commentators and biblical scholars have debated over the ages, what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? What were Paul's flaws that he openly talks about? Well, I don't know what they were, and you don't know what they were, and we don't have to know what they were. Because whatever they were, he was acutely aware of them and of his powerlessness to deal with them through his own means. Folks, we are all flawed. Found a website this week called Writer's Ride, and interestingly enough, the site defined a character flaw from the Oxford English Dictionary as a fault or weakness in a person's character. Well, duh. I don't think I needed any kind of dictionary to give us that definition. I mean, a character flaw is a flaw in a person's character. Don't give that definition to an English teacher. Okay? The site went on to list many character flaws, long lists in alphabetical order. I'm not going to read them all, but I'm going to read some of them, starting with the A's. Absent-minded, abusive, addict, aimless, alcoholic, anxious, arrogant, audacious. I like that word, audacious. Big mouth is listed. It's in the list. Big mouth. It also had a definition with each one of them. I looked at the definition. Big mouth. A loud mouthed or gossipy person. Big mouth. Okay. Bigot, callous, childish, cruel, dishonest, egotistical, Envious, erratic, fickle, flirt, gruff, hypocritical, immature, impatient, indecisive, intolerant, judgmental, lazy, laziness, character flaw, lewd, liar, meddlesome, nosy, overconfident, overemotional, paranoid. Peevish, I like the word peevish, so I looked at the definition there. Peevish, expressing fretfulness and discontent or unjustifiable dissatisfaction. Other words for it, cantankerous. I like the word cantankerous. Cross, ill-tempered, testy, crotchety, cranky, ornery. The word ornery and cantankerous are words that my mother would have used. She would have said, you're ornery as a sword-tailed cat. 
And I never knew what a sword-tailed cat was, but I tell you what, it must be able to do quite some damage, I'm guessing. Back to the list. Proud, reckless, sarcastic, selfish, shallow, spiteful, stubborn, theatrical, vain. And the list ended with zealous. My goodness. What a list! And that wasn't the whole list, but you get the gist. You know, it's likely that we could find items, every one of us on this list, we could all find three of these that would describe us in some way. We could complete these forms with the list. And just as importantly, and maybe more easily, we could find items on this list that describe someone else little game that I referred to a while ago, Name Your Flaw. be quite unnerving to play that game. Why would it be unnerving to try to guess each other's identity based on a list of flaws? Anybody want to venture a, an answer? It's participatory here. Tear up the church. Tear, tear up the church, okay? Tear up the church. Okay. be unnerving. Yeah, we can see theirs, they can't see ours. I tell you what, it would be unnerving because it would be so easy. It would be easy. I am not kidding you. We could do this game, y'all, and we would get it spot on every time. Let's face it, we do. We would. Y'all can laugh all you want to. We would do it, okay? Because we tend to know each other based on our flaws. That's how we know people. That's how we describe people. Oh, he's just a hothead. This is one of my favorites. Consider the source. Pastor's wife down in New Orleans. That was one of hers that she... Consider the source. In other words, you know them. You know how they're going to act. You know how they're going to... Just consider the source. You know how they can be. We identify each other according to our faults and our flaws. And let me ask, has anyone seen a political ad for Tennessee's next governor? Oh, my goodness. I'm sick of them. Please take them off the air. I'm so tired of seeing those ads. Folks, when it comes to politics, identifying others by their flaws has been taken to a whole new level over the past couple of years. But we do this in the workplace and in families, too. Some of the upper administrators at my former workplace had nicknames for people. And they weren't kind nicknames. They weren't flattering. And I, I never knew what their nickname for me was, but I'm sure they had one. They just never told me to my face. Instead, I'm sure they told, said behind my back. Uh, in our families, well, you know Uncle So-and-so. You know, you know Cousin So-and-so. Well, watch out now. And you would think there would be somewhere in this world where we would draw a line where people are not known for their flaws. And I'm going to show you where that line should be.
where that doesn't happen. The line should be drawn right here. There's anywhere on the face of the earth where people should no longer be considered for their flaws. It should be in the church. However, sadly enough, in many cases, the church is no different from the rest of society when it comes to the game of name that flaw. We like to beat up on each other. Oh, we, how we love to toss each other under the bus. Maybe under the church bus. You name a flaw, we'll be able to identify instantly who carries that flaw. It becomes a way for us to feel power over others. It becomes a way for us to keep others in their places. It becomes a way for us to hold things over each other. It becomes a way for us to proudly proclaim, at least I'm not like them. Yes, even in our small church, even in this group of people, we identify each other according to our flaws. And at least a couple of things happen when we do this. First, it continually keeps contention in our midst. If we speak of someone as being a hothead or a gossip or a mean-spirited person, that's what we see in that person. That's who that person then becomes to us. That's the person in that person we choose to identify with. It perpetually blocks our ability to have a good relationship with that person. And I don't have to tell you this, but it can pretty much stifle any spirit-led efforts in the church when that happens. So when we identify each other according to our flaws, it taints our relationship with the other person and it hinders the very work in God's kingdom. But, and more importantly, it also is totally contradictory to the teachings of Jesus Christ, whom we say we follow. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Talking about a dramatic and a scathing example. We get so consumed with the flaws of others that we fail to pay attention with what's going on within us. Jesus says, you know, before you try to diagnose what's wrong with everybody else, why don't you examine your own life? And what will happen when we do examine our lives? Back to our passage in Romans. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul says, wretched, wretched man that I am. We, my friends, along with Paul, are guilty as charged. But then Paul asks the question, the very important question, who will rescue me? from this flawed existence. Who can make things right despite my flaws? 
And then he gives us the straight and direct answer. Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then because of Jesus, we can flip over to chapter 8 of Romans and read, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Not guilty. God says, "Uh uh-uh. I don't see you that way. So how does God see us in spite of our flaws? Listen to what he writes to the church in Galatia. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, there is neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one. You are all one in Christ Jesus. You are children Every one of you, children of God. Don't you see, folks, as followers of Christ, God does not see us for our flaws. He sees us as his children. Just think about it. We played that game a while ago, and you wrote your three flaws on the paper. God would mark through those flaws. And in his place, he would put, you're my child. What an amazing thing for him to do for us. So if that's the way God sees us, in spite of who we ourselves know who we are, why can we and why would we not see each other in that same way. Why do we choose to hold the flaws of others in such high regard? Why can we not see each other simply and beautifully as children of God in spite of our flaws? I think we can. Let's pray.